And so my, uh, I'm answering this morning the question, why do bad things happen to good people? That's a, that's a real life question. I get asked that all the time. In fact, it's probably the reason that a lot of people don't want to be Christians, is if there was a God. If there was a God, why wouldn't he just stop all the bad stuff in the world? Right? It's a real question. And I want to start this morning with the sad story, okay? With the sad story. It turned out not to be a sad story, but at the time it was a sad story. It was February 18 this year. And Sam Gunser woke up at 3 a.m. with an increased heart rate. And so we thought, do you think you should just go to the hospital? So he drove himself to the hospital at 3 a.m. And, um, and we really didn't think anything of it. I got the kids ready for school. They were a bit shocked, like, what do you, when they woke up, what do you mean dad's in hospital? Oh, it'll be fine, it's nothing. He'll be waiting for you when you get home from school. Let's just get ready. And we honestly, that was how we handled it that morning. And I dropped them off, and I was making my way from school here, and Sam was still getting checked out at the hospital, at Redcliffe Hospital, and I gave him a call. And on the other end of the line, he said, hi, and then it went silent. And I thought, is it a bad connection? Sam, are you there? Is it a bad connection? Just as I was about to hang up, I heard him sniffling on the other end of the phone and realized he was crying. Now, Sam's not a crier. He is not a crier. I heard him sniffle and he said, they did a full body scan. They found a large mass. Silence. And then he could barely get the final statement out. He said, I'm sorry, I've just got to get off the phone. Hangs up. That moment, our lives changed. In a moment. Literally a moment. That's how quickly everything can change. Like that. Like that. And so I obviously did not go to the church. I went to the hospital and and when I walked in, he looked like he'd seen a ghost. Spirit of death was in the room. It's an ugly, ugly thing. And you cannot actually understand it until you're looking at death in the face. It was terrible. We both cried. We rang family members who went, ah, oh, and then hung up and rang back an hour later going, I'm sorry for how insensitive I was. I was just shocked. It was an awful morning. And in the weeks that preceded, it was honestly a roller coaster of consistent bad news. Worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse for about three months. And I remember in that season realizing that after preaching faith and the word of God for 20 years, I had a faulty theology of suffering. I actually didn't have the correct theology for suffering. My theology was, if you do the right things, you will always have it good. And when something bad happens, it's a consequence for something you've done wrong. 
And so immediately condemnation was all over me. Immediately I felt like, what have I done? You know, it was awful. We're not only dealing with this situation, but also my faulty theology. Not being able to reconcile the situation I suddenly found ourselves in. Why, God, do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people when your word says this and your word says that and all I've ever done is lay my life down for you? I've let people treat me like rubbish. I've laid everything down. I've given everything up. Why, God? Why? Why do bad things happen to good people? What have I done wrong? Do you have a theology for suffering? I didn't. I didn't. And you know what? There's something awesome about sink or swim moments, isn't there? I very quickly had to get a theology for suffering. But it took about three months of darkness. Darkness. And um, our senior pastor, Mark Ramsey, infuriates me. He infuriates me with how pragmatic and simple he is in his responses. Surely it can't be that simple, and I don't like that response. And so for 20 years, I've often asked him questions like this, and he would just say, because we live in a fallen world. I don't like that answer. It's not, no, no, it must be more complicated than that. I don't like that. No, we just live in a fallen world. Well, where's God's sovereignty in that? I've argued with the man for 20 years over some of his pragmatic, painful responses. And so if you want to get a deeper understanding of this, a couple of weeks ago I preached a message, why would a loving God send people to hell? And so I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. But it is true, we live in a fallen world. And in the fall, Satan rebelled. And in his rebellion, he became the accuser. He became the the enemy. He became the deceiver. And his primary target is humanity because he hates God. And what God loves more than anything else is humanity. And so he became the accuser and the deceiver. And then because he was that, he made a beeline for man and woman and he deceived them and so they fell. And in their fall, they ushered in sin, sickness and death. Sin, sickness and death. God's perfect will, which is blessing and health and fullness and provision, God's perfect will was marred by Satan and subsequently humanity. And so we do, we live in a fallen world now where we are subject to the attempts of the enemy and we're subject to our own stupidity. And so before we get into it, I just want to actually outline what I have through my own experience and also as a pastor, recognize potentially three sources of bad things. And they're up on the screen, three sources of bad things. 
the first bad thing might be something that is allowed by God for our teaching. And we do see that in Scripture. Okay? And so the appropriate response, friends, is to learn and change. The second thing might be something brought about by our own idiocy. And what's really important is that we admit that. We need to admit um, there's not a demon under this rock. I did it. I did it. And the appropriate response is similar, plus repentance. Repentance is a turn, a change of heart. Okay? And then the final source is the result of Satan's attack. And the response here is to submit to God and resist the devil. Okay? So I've just, and you know, there's probably, you could argue that there are other sources or that these are wrong, but in my personal experience as I study scripture, these are the sources of bad things. And the first two we deal with a certain way. The last one is the one I want to talk about this morning. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Undergirding all of the bad things, for me, have been two scriptures. Romans 8.28, we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And Genesis 50.20, out of the life of Joseph, who went through so many bad things at no fault of his own, he said, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He can turn anything around. And so I want to look this morning as we address this topic out of the life of Job. Because Job is a man who didn't do anything to deserve the hand of cards that he was dealt. Job was a man who was upright. In fact, on his tombstone, it says he never did anything wrong. Wouldn't it be awesome for God to make that account of you? She was upright and blameless. That would be amazing. I'm pretty sure that's not going to be on my tombstone. But it was on Job's. He was blameless and upright. He was wealthy. He was one of the wealthiest people in his community. And he had too many sons and daughters to count, all the livestock, all the things. And then we see... Satan, the adversary, come to God because there's a courtroom where Satan comes to accuse the brethren before God. And Satan comes to God and God goes, hey, have you seen my man Job? He is awesome. And Satan goes, no, he's only awesome because you protect him. He only loves you and he's only blameless because you've blessed him. I bet that if you took your hand off his life, and bad things happen to him that he would curse you. And God says, no, I, I am certain he would not. And Satan goes, well, let me have a shot. And so God allows it. God allows Satan to sift Job. It was very hard for 20 years for me to read Job until this year. 
And suddenly, Job is like my best friend. And so in one day, in one day, Job gets messengers, four messengers who come to him, telling him firstly that all his wealth is gone, all his livestock, his property, bandits have come and taken all of his wealth, all of his servants have been killed, and his 10 children have all died by a natural catastrophe. In one day, who knows that's a bad day? Who knows that's an 8 a.m. phone call? Right? The 8 a.m. phone call I had on the 18th of February. In one day. And so Job tears his clothes, shaves his head, but he continues to bless God in his prayers. So Satan appears before God again, and he goes, you know what? I think if I push it a little bit further, he'll still, he will curse you. And God's like, you can, but you can't take his life. And so he inflicts a health condition on Job. <laughs> this time, his wife, who's the only one of his family left, says, why don't you just curse God and die? What a woman. <laughs> oh, I've met wives like that. You think I'm joking. <laughs> but he refuses. He struggles to accept his circumstances, but he refuses to put any blame on God and continues to praise God. Then his friends turn up. And if you've read Job and ever thought that his friends were smart, you're wrong. He has the three worst friends in the whole world. And they sound good. If you read it, it actually sounds like Proverbs. If you read what they're saying to Job, it sounds so true and so right, except they were so wrong. They were so wrong. They conclude that Job is just too big in his own mind and he's wrong. Surely you've done something wrong to deserve this. This is the wrong theology for suffering. One of them even says, I think you probably deserve a worse punishment than what you've got. Another one says, well, obviously your children brought it on themselves. Who needs enemies? And so he gets irritated with his friends and dismisses them. And of course, a religious spirit hates to be dismissed, so they get offended at him. In the end, he gets to a point where he admits he doesn't even understand himself well enough to understand God. That's a good place to come to. And the last two chapters of Job are so phenomenal, where, Job, where God finally responds. Oh my goodness, the beauty in the last two chapters of God's response to Job. Job, where were you when I formed the earth? Do you know where the storehouses of hail are kept? Do you know where the lightning gets stored? Do you know how the horse is formed in all its majesty? Job, if you're so smart, please tell me. And Job's like, you know what, God? I don't know. I don't know. And in the end, his resolve is, I'm going to persist in wisdom 
and righteousness and purity. I don't understand, but I'm going to persist. So why do we experience these things? Why do bad things happen to good people? Because there's a cosmic conversation sometimes that goes on that you don't know about. Sometimes it is your own wrongdoing, and that's easy fixed, honestly. Just repent and stop doing it. But sometimes it's the cosmic conversation. And do you know what? If that's the case, you should actually take heart that the God of heaven and earth is up there bragging about you. When this happened, the first prophetic word that came to us was through our 15-year-old daughter, Maya. First night, that Thursday night when Sam wasn't at home waiting for them, and I was tucking her into bed, she said to me, God told me this is just a distraction because there's some big things around the corner for Dad. Why would the deceiver go after you? Sometimes he knows more about you than you do. You are a threat. Have you noticed? I've noticed. One of the great things about being a pastor is <laughs> we celebrate when 160 kids get saved, right? We celebrate when someone makes a decision, but then just around the corner, all hell breaks loose. Why? Because suddenly you're a threat. You weren't a threat before, now you are. And so he's after our destiny. He's after our destiny. When I see children come under attack, I know this kid is going to grow up to move mountains. And that's what I say to their parents. You hang on because you should take heart. This child is destined for great things. It's amazing. It's amazing. So four thoughts for you this morning. If you're going through a bad thing that is entirely no fault of your own and you're reeling, you're spinning. Number one, these are actually four statements that I've written in my journal this year. The first one is this. It can be happening to you, but you don't have to come under it. It can be happening to you, but you don't have to come under it. In your storm, don't let it change you. Let it change you for the better, but hear what I'm saying. Don't let it make you reverse or pull away. Don't let it change your first love. Don't let it change your conviction. Don't let it change your anchors. Job said this in chapter 13, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. Let that be your response. Hit me with all you've got. I will not change the confession of faith about my God. Don't let it change you. A storm is a bad time to pull up your anchors. Don't question in the dark what you knew in the light. Go back to what your resolves are. Let your roots down even deeper and secure your anchors even stronger. In Job 1, Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away 
bless the name of the Lord. Don't come under it. Don't let it change you. Remember who you are and remember who God is. In Ezekiel 20 verse 14, this is one of my life verses. I have it framed in my house. Then I thought better of it and I acted out of who I was, not how I felt. Number two, (laughs) Sam said this one. You don't have to understand it. You just have to go through it. Stop trying to understand it. Sometimes you can't. On this side of eternity, sometimes there isn't an answer to that question. You don't have to understand it. You just have to go through it. Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ. Bill Johnson said, if you want the peace that passes all understanding, you need to give up the right to understand. Psalm 23 has become a life verse for me this year. The Lord is my shepherd, I will not, shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk Yea, though I walk. Yea, though I camp and die. No. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Through is a key word. It is a key word, don't camp there, don't stop there, don't quit, don't die there. Sam and I were very confronted with our faith this year. I realized I must be partially an evangelist because I realized I have the faith for a miracle. Sam, just believe that that thing's out of your body. Sam has the faith for endurance. That. But I realized that's what was necessary in this season. And they're both possible if you know your God. If you know Him because He's good, because He's faithful, because He doesn't send bad things, He's not the author of death and life, uh, uh, death and sickness. He's the author of life and life abundant. Go through the faith for endurance. Don't spend more time working out how to live in the wilderness than you do strategizing how to get out. Don't camp there. Don't stay there. Number three is similar to number two. Don't ask why. Why has no answer. Ask what now. That always has an answer. What do you do when you don't know what to do? The next thing. Just do the next thing. 
1 Peter 5 says this, Therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand, that he may exalt you in due time. Just do the next thing. Just do the next thing. Be sober and vigilant, sorry, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood around the world. But may the God of grace who called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Just do the next thing. Looking back on this year, <laughs> I, I, um, I'm putting together a record of this year. And so I've gone through all the text messages. I've gone through all the journal entries. I've gone through all of it and I'm putting it all together. It's up to 75 pages. And I had my diary open going back as I read all your text messages again, as I read all my journal entries again. And, and I noticed like on this particular day, Sam got a horrific report at 9 a.m. But at 3 a.m. I was meeting with such and such, counseling them and having communion. On this day, Sam got another horrific report, but I was doing this with the kids on this basketball sideline. On this day, and I'm reading it going, I am proper crazy. I'm actually proper mad. I would never advise anyone to do what I did this year. I'd be saying, you know, just take it easy. I did not take it easy. And I didn't realize until I went back through, but it got me through. Yeah. Just do the next thing. Yeah. Just do the next thing. Andy Goulet, who um, spoke at our dinner on Thursday, has been a life coach for me for many years. And I remember one time I asked him, can I miss my calling? And he goes, no, nah, you're not that good. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, just do what's right in front of you. Don't worry about anything else. Just do what's right in front of you. And I said to him, so you telling me you are right around the world with red frogs. You are in government. You are in social. You are in economy, you are in education, you are in media, you are in entertainment, you're everywhere, all over the world. Are you telling me you never knocked on a door? And he goes, never. He has never knocked on a door. He literally has only done what's right in front of him. And he said to me, if you keep doing what's right in front of you, you'll get to where you need to go. Don't ask why, just ask what now? Just ask, what now? Keep showing up. In my journal, I wrote, just keep showing up. Keep showing up. See the plot of ground that you're on. Feel the soil beneath your feet and own the moment. Give it your all. We have so many crazy stories where we wanted to ask why. Like the day that Sam had to get a port surgically inserted beneath his skin because that port was gonna be the tap that they would put the chemo through every two weeks. And so they had it all booked in, and then when he went to get it, unfortunately, for some reason, oncology surgery was full. So they had to send him down to emergency surgery, and he's sitting there in the waiting room, 
of emergency surgery going, why am I here? This is like a war zone. And this guy gets wheeled past, rushing past in such a bad state, major head injuries. And the Spirit of God said to Sam, you're here for him. He needed you to see him so you could pray for him. You don't need to be up in oncology for your own little self. You need to be down here for him. Because you know what? Everywhere my foot treads, I bring the kingdom of heaven. And so if you don't get a miracle straight away, Yongi Cho says, well, maybe there's a bigger picture. Maybe there's a bigger picture. During that time, <laughs> this is the first time I'm publicly sharing this, uh, the doctors found lumps on my left side at the same time. I'm telling you, it was three months of hell. And I had to go for all the tests, of course, and I was, I was crying on the way to the blood collection, in the car crying on the way to the blood collection. As I turned the car off, I said, God, use me. Walked into the room, and the man who answered the door, who was gonna collect my blood, said, oh, here she is. And as we started talking, I saw the deep need in his soul. We started talking about eternity, started talking about God, and at the end, I asked him if I could pray for him and he held both his hands out for me to pray for him. Just do what's right in front of you. Don't ask why. Ask what now. Minister to someone every day. Do what's right in front of you. Lift your eyes from your own self. Is there a bigger story? My last point is this, and I'd love for you to all stand to your feet. Let me read to you Job 42. Some people say that that period Job went through was just nine months. When we read it, we think it's a lifetime. And at the very end of Job, it says this. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters, and in all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. Verse 16, and after all this, Job lived 140 more years and saw his children and grandchildren to four generations. So Job died old and full of days. My last point is this, you have an after all this.